0: you may recall, an oxymoron is two words that go together that seem to contradict one another, like classic uh, jumbo shrimp, you know? I mean, it's an oxymoron, right? How about this one, civil war? Oh, that doesn't seem to go together very well. Hmm. Virtual reality? (laughs) The scripture is full of oxymorons as well, you know, uh, laid out very clearly for us, you know, like in uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 25, Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But the one we're going to look at here today is is means that when you are weak, then you are strong. That doesn't make sense. Well, before you leave here today, I hope it is crystal clear. The truth illustrated before us will be found in, the, in, our, in our continuing study through the book of Judges. The judge that we're going to focus on here today is Gideon. So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures... Turn with me to Judges chapter 6, where the stage is being set for Judah or for Gideon to be used to deliver Israel. Well, here the stage is being set, and we know what that looks like. Studying the book of Judges, and we know one of the key understanding of this book is this, this concept of a sin cycle. Here they are serving the Lord. And they see what their neighbors are doing and they want to get in on some of that. And so they turn their back on God. Well, God disciplines his people, which is an act of love to bring them back, not just to punish them or to make their life difficult, but to turn their hearts. And they repent and they are restored And the cycle just continues. Remember, the book of Judges covers a period of time of 330 years. It's a really sad time in the history of Israel. But look at here in verse 1. We see Israel's rebellion. Yet once again, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of the Midians seven years. So here we see God's response to their sin. Again, discipline. He he turns the nation of Israel into the hands of the Midianites. And the hand of Midian, notice here in verse 2, overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops... the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels could not be counted." so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel, I mean, look at this. They they, they are devastated. They would plant these crops. And as every farmer does, they plant in hope. But the moment that those crops began to grow and give fruit, the people around them would come in and take it all away. They're in a pretty low spot here. Look at verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. What did the people of Israel do? They cried out to God. Which, by the way, is a good example. Everything everything seems to be tumbling on in your life. Everything seems to be collapsing. Every step that you make turns to, to disaster. Time to cry out to God, my friends. Well, that is exactly what they did. The people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. Hmm, imagine that. Now we see God's response to their sin. And now they cry out to God. And you know what he does? He sends them some memory verses. Exactly. This seems absurd. We don't want scripture. We want help. Yeah, you caught that, didn't you? That was exactly what they needed. A map to get on the right road so that they would not continue this this endless, seemingly, cycle. But look at here in verse 8. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at how God associates himself even with these sinful, rebellious people. I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. I mean, cities that were built, they didn't have to go in and start from the scratch. They had all of these things that were built and prepared for them. Verse 10, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. It's time for some repentance, friends. It's time for some change. And the word of God is laid out there in front of them. Well, alongside of this prophet, God provides for them a deliverer. And this is uh, most unusual. I, You know, most of the judges are, are unusual. I'm Shamgar kills 600 people with an ox goad, you know. Um, They're all sort of odd fellows, but there is such a very important lesson in here for us today. The wise person will listen and act on these things. So take a look at, uh, we've seen Israel's rebellion, now we see Israel's deliverer. And he seems like the last guy you might choose. Why? Well, first off, Gideon is living in fear of the Midianites, Here in verse 11, Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizorite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, friends, you and I both know that uh, if you're beating out wheat, you do it up on a hill You know, up in the air and all the chaff would blow away. But he's down in a wine press. How is that even going to work? He's afraid. Is it possible that even though you fear what it is that God is calling you to do, that's okay? You know, the thing about courage is, is that you act regardless of your feelings. People who are courageous do stuff with their eyes wide open, knowing that this could cost me something huge. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay not to move when God calls you. But take a look. So here the angel of the Lord appeared to him. <clears> hmm. <throat> Now, there's a couple of things that we need to make note of here before we continue on. Two very important things. The first thing is about the angel of the Lord. This is a very important phrase to understand. You will notice that this does not say, an angel of the Lord. How many angels? Oh, myriads of angels. And how many can dance on the head of a pin? Does not matter. What matters here, my friends is this is the angel of the Lord. Now, he, this, who is this angel of the Lord? You know, I want to tell you, friends, that throughout the Old Testament, it is made very clear, again, that this is not just an angel. This is a Christophany. Everybody say Christophany. Christophany. Yeah, now let's define it. It is an appearance of the Christ before the incarnation. This is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is appearing and, and interacting with people. And it happens all, Abraham had experiences interacting with an, a, the angel of the Lord. You know, this is, again, the appearance of the, uh, the, the Son of God, and uh, appearances of the angel of the Lord was prominent during Moses and Joshua, and divine manifestations uh, certainly are going to take place here in the book of Judges, you know? So, but one thing we know, and all we have to do is, is dive down to verses 22 and 23, that we can see the identity of the angel of the Lord. Go ahead and just go ahead and back down. We're gonna come back up later here. But look here in verse 22. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God. Gideon is addressing the angel of the Lord as God. And he's right. The angel of the Lord is God. He's the son of God. For now, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then look at here in verse 23. But, and there it is, Yahweh said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. (laughs) What's going on here? The scripture says no man will see the face of God and live. He's terrified. He has now seen God. And he feels the end is near. The angel of the Lord is God here. Okay? Not not an angel. Remember the word angel is is, 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 uh, taken from the Greek word angelos. And the word itself means messenger. That's not who this is. This isn't just a messenger, although it is the word of God. And so the second thing to be noted is about Gideon. The second thing to be noted is about Gideon. This guy is cowering in the wine press, hiding from the Amalekites. And he is listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the heroes of the faith. You know, if you read Hebrews eleven, you know, the, the writer here is just lifting listing off all of these people who did great things for God because of their great faith in God. Well, surely that must be a mistake. I mean, not this Gideon, right? Must have been the other Gideon a town over, huh? It's not, my friends. You can still have fear and trust God, but fear tends to eliminate it along the way. Faith eliminates fear along the way. And so here we, we see this Gideon who seems to be terrified, and it doesn't even end there, my friends. Look at here in verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well. You know, I don't know about you. You ever wonder what God might say about you? What does God see in you? You know, it's, it, it's a fun game. I have uh, four grandchildren now. <laughs> that number changed recently. You know, and you, you look at these little kids and you watch how they're growing and their personalities developing and, you know, all of these things. And, and you wonder what are they going to be like? What are they going to be passionate about? What kinds of things will they struggle with? You know? Take a look. Well, When God looked at this man Gideon, again, cowering in the wine press, he says, oh mighty man of valor. How's that possible that this fearful man? Faith, my friends. And remember, faith looks an awful lot like Obedience taking God at his word and acting on it, faith. So here is the Lord saying, "O mighty man of valor. But I want you to notice this. Gideon is a man of doubts. He's not only a man who's wrestling with fear. He had doubts about God's concern for Israel. Take a look, verse 13. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, If the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel From the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Remember that strength and weakness thing? What is the best opportunity for God to be glorified? Send someone who is not able and yet is able to do it by faith and by the power of God? Who gets the glory in that? Remember that as we continue on here. And so he had some serious doubts about God. I mean, God, why is all this happening if you're so great and you love us and you did all these good things? Well, the fact is remember the prophet that he sent? Question answered it's because of your sin. But he had some doubts about himself as well. Notice this in verse 15. And he said to them, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I mean, behold, my my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. He needed better self-esteem. Or perhaps his perspective on himself was accurate, which again gives us the opportunity to see strength in weakness. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. He doesn't disagree with him. He doesn't say, oh no, you're stronger than you think. We tend to do that. Tell people things that may not be true about, oh, you can do this. God didn't say that. <coughs> said, in spite of that, this is going to happen because I'm going to be with you. Don't miss that, friends. But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So he had some doubts about God, some doubts about himself, that maybe he wasn't good enough to save Israel. And then here in verse 17, maybe he wasn't acceptable to God. Look at this. These doubts that just continue. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my presence and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went in the house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes and an ephah of flour and the meat he put into a basket and the broth. He... Anybody getting hungry here? <laughs> you know, he's making the Lord dinner, you know? And he, brought him... <laughs> and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. (laughs) Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You won't die. Well, that's some good news, right? Look, for how long is that good for, you know? Yeah. He gave an offering, and the offering was accepted. And in accepting that offering, he accepted Gideon in all of his flaws. Friends, I'm hoping by now you might be doing some accounting in your own life. And maybe you're seeing a little Gideon in yourself. To know all of those things that you can't do. The things that you're not. But the danger in that is to say, because I am not this... I cannot do what God has called me to do. It's not true. Learn the lesson of Gideon here. This guy is filled with doubts. Hmm. will look at here in verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. Well, those doubts and those fears don't end, my friends. The list continues to get longer. And here at verse 25, we see that Gideon feared his family and the men of the town because now God is starting to give some instruction. Little training wheels, as it were. Notice in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull in the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord told him. This is an act of courage because we are going to see that Gideon has a very clear perspective on how everyone feels about these things. They are sold into worshiping these demon gods, even his parents. And here we have this image of tearing down the old and building up a new altar to the Lord. And this obedience will cost him. Notice as we continue on. And we will see that indeed he obeyed God. And look at here in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now the silliness of that, of course, is that the sun will rise in the morning. I know the earth will revolve and whatever, but uh, and they're going to see it anyway. What's the point of hiding? Fear has a way of confusing us and make us believe things that aren't true. And notice... So he tore it down, and the men of the town who rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, Hmm. and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built, and they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, it's him. The son of Joash has done this thing, and they wanted him dead. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or... Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he's a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. And therefore on that day, Gideon was called Jerubal. Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him. Because he broke down his altar. Names. What is it with calling people names? Can't kill him? Hurt him. Hurt him deep. But you know what? Gideon's learning here. Hey, I'm okay. I did what God said, and I'm okay. Well, yeah, a lot of people hate me right now, but I'm not dead. Just like God said. Hmm. Well, when we get to verse 33, we begin to look at Gideon's judgeship. And I want you to notice this, my friends. This timid man given to fear and self-doubts is now being used by God to deliver the people of Israel. Now. All the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But, see, the picture is all of the enemy is now descending. But, what does it say? But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And sounded the trumpet, and the Abezarites were called out to follow him. So now we see that Gideon is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now you remember through the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon someone for great acts and deeds of obedience and power. And then when that was done, the Spirit of God would depart. You know, which... After David had sinned, you remember part of his prayer was, "Take not your holy spirit from me." You know, but if you are a believer today in the church, the moment you trust Christ, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God, and uh, the image of the Spirit of God in our life certainly for power, for you know, guidance and wisdom, and and to lead and guide and also correct. But the picture that Paul gives us of the Holy Spirit is that he is a down payment. And that word means an engagement ring. It is a promise. The promised Holy Spirit. And the promise is there. There is an inheritance to come. Here's it. Could some of you fanning... Directed in my direction, please. Everybody, ready? <laughs> I did turn on the air conditioning. I'm sorry we didn't get it on earlier. We'll work on that. We're not used to warm weather around here, are we? Oh, my goodness. So now Gideon is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 35, he has amassed an army, and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. These are all tribes in Israel, and they went out to meet them. And even then, even then, he now has the Spirit of God, the image has clothed him, and he has this army amassed around him. This guy's got doubts. Take a look. Take a look. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you really are going to save Israel by my hand, as you said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. And if there's dew on the fleece alone and it's dry all around the ground, then, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And it was so. You want to dew on the wool, but dry everywhere else. And God did it. How patient is God that having said over and over again that you're going to deliver the people of Israel. Here is this guy. If you really mean it, could you just show me something else? And then having seen that, he's like, can you reverse it? <laughs> you know? And, and look, that's exactly what he did. <coughs> and when he rose early the next morning... And in and, and squeeze the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said, let not your anger burn against me. And you know why he said that? Because he knows God could be angry with him for not just acting on his word. But notice the patience of God here. Let me speak just once more. Please let me, let me test just once more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece, and then it's wet everywhere else with a dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. We're going to stop here in our passage, end of chapter six, a good break, because the focus here is on the man. And what we can see is we're not sure we would hire this guy for much. Just a lot of doubts. He needs a lot of reassurance. But I want to tell you here, friends, when we are weak, it is then that we are strong. Because God uses the weak that he might display his power. It's Bible to go, by the way. Yeah. God uses the weak that he might display his power. And the fact is, If you think you're not enough, you're perfect for the job. The problem comes in with highly skilled and talented people who tend to rely on those things and not the power of the Spirit of God. They wonder why they keep coming up short. Leads to a life of frustration, ultimately walking away. But if we see ourselves as we are just as Gideon did, we are not enough. But with the power of the Spirit of God working in us for the glory of God, we are unstoppable. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12... I wonder if you'd like to turn here. It's it's a wonderful passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's an unusual passage as well because it's about the Apostle Paul. A little insight in this guy's psyche. 2 Corinthians 12. We're just kind of jumping in here in the midst of an argument that he's making. But in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. Well, there's something to put on your dorm wall. (laughs) I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Oh, Paul has all kinds of things to boast about. I have seen the Lord God has revealed. Oh, by the way, I'm writing scripture over here, you know. Spirit of God chose me to do this. And, and he goes on here. Revelation of the Lord. And I know a man, by the way, the man is him, okay? I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Not time to talk about that too much here. Paradise, he's talking about being in heaven, okay? All right? As a matter of the third heaven, I know a man fourteen. is caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Again, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, and he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own self, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I mean, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, in light of all of these advantages that Paul has had, verse 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. It's a metaphor. And then he defines it Hmm. a messenger of Satan to harass me. I want you to think about that. To keep Paul humble. God allowed a messenger, angel, fallen angel, demon, a demon to harass him. Imagine that being in the will of God. But to keep Paul from sin, God sent this into his life. (coughs) And notice his response, Verse eight, three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Do you know what he said to him? Look at here in verse nine. God said, no, it's not what he said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul speaking here, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content in weaknesses, insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I get out of the way, people can see God. When I stop going to my own resources and start depending on God, everything changes. So notice this, my friends. If you're not enough, you're perfect for the job. And notice that when we minister in the power of the Spirit of God, we are unstoppable. Where God calls us, He enables us. Whenever God calls us, he enables us. So, if God calls you to go and talk to your neighbor about Jesus, and you say, I don't have the education. I don't know if I have the words. I don't speak so good. When God calls, he enables. This is an issue of faith and obedience. Trusting God that he will provide and acting on it. And friends, it is far better to be called by God than to simply have confidence in yourself. So let the self doubts fly. Let you, let, let you clearly see that you are not enough to change the world. But you know what? By the power of the Spirit of God working in you, you can change your family. And begin to change a neighborhood. Have you even thought about such a thing that God puts you in that neighborhood for that particular reason? You have the Spirit of God in you. Go and tell. Be the Gideon that the people around you need.